You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. And in today's show, we are going to be hearing from Chris Temple of nationalinvestor.com. He is a newsletter writer and market commentator. But first, I'd like to thank FPX Nickel for sponsoring today's show. If you haven't heard, I interviewed Martin Turen last week, and he gave an overview of the value proposition for FPX Nickel. You can see the link above my head if you're watching on YouTube, or that is in the show notes if you're listening in audio podcast format. I would encourage you to listen that if you haven't been introduced to the company but in short the main catalyst will be the drilling of the van target this summer they already have one defined nickel deposit the baptiste deposit but the van target at least on surface the footprint looks bigger and the grades are higher so that'd be a drill play that you'd want to pay attention to again to learn more go to fpxnickel.com so Chris, welcome back onto Mining Stock Education. It's been uh, several months since we spoke, but I've been asking guests over the last few months, what is their best trade or sector to invest in in 2021? So I'll throw that question out to you to start. Where are you seeing the best trade for 2021? Well, I think the broad term is green energy. You've got some subsets in there, uranium and nuclear energy being the one that I think in my mind leads the path. Uh, some of the other things are a little bit overpriced. Uh, lithium has had another run, though, and, and just about anything to do, frankly, that's not uh, crude oil or coal has been doing quite well recently because of what the expectations are as we get into the Biden-Harris administration and, and what could be coming as far as uh, subsidies, uh, infrastructure program that would involve green energy and so forth. So that's that's at the top of my list. Uh, biotech, I, I, I've... Uh, Got a number of biotech stocks on my list in healthcare technology. A few of them have been on fire lately. We've had a really, really nice time and nice run in week, recent weeks, as I hope you've noticed uh, as you get my stuff. And uh, the cannabis space, interestingly enough, has uh, perked up. You know, we had, I've always made the comparison to the internet and dot com stocks bill back in the late 1990s when. Anything with a dot-com in its name went nuts for a while. And then when everything crashed, a lot of companies stayed dead. Uh, and the better ones uh, are some of today's household names. And uh, I think that the cannabis space is the same thing. We had a big bubble for a while. Everything crashed and burned. Good companies went down with bad ones. And now the survivors are recovering. Uh, I mean, heck, I've got an ETF on my list that's almost doubled since I added it, and I didn't add it that long ago. So the whole space is really coming back. And I'm, I'm worried about that. I'm worried about some of the um, green energy stocks a little bit near term because I think they're a little bit too bubbly right now. I'd rather see a period where the market digests these gains and sobers up a little bit. But as, as you know, and as our listeners know, there's uh, people out there with more money than brains that'll pay $400 a share for a GameStop or $20 for AMC's movie theater stock. So what do I know? But I'm not chasing stuff that I don't think is cheap. I mean, but there's still a lot of good deals out there too. Since Biden canceled the Keystone Pipeline, I've been paying 50 cents more a gallon up here in Michigan for gas. I mean, what are your expectations for oil this year? Uh, Oil has exceeded my expectations already. I did not expect there to be this kind of a rally. Uh, in an upcoming issue in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be, dig into the whole Keystone XL pipeline thing. Don't forget that the existing Keystone pipeline 
FIP for a few years now. He's been bringing uh, crude oil from Canada, guess under whose administration that was approved and built. It was under the Obama-Biden administration. The Keystone XL, to cancel that, for Biden, and I'm speaking here purely politically, that's low-hanging fruit that he can do and throw a bone to the Green New Dealers to keep them at bay. Uh, anybody with any sense to understand how these industries work knows that it's about as silly uh, an idea as when we hear John Kerry lecturing us all about uh, uh, cutting our carbon emissions and stuff when he's hopping around the world on a private plane. So how are we going to continue to get oil from Canada, which we inevitably will? What doesn't go through the existing Keystone pipeline system? And what won't be going through the augmentation of that, which would have been XL, it's going to come by rail car, which burns diesel most of the time. It's going to come in tankers, which burn diesel. So, uh, And frankly, when you look at the accidents that happen from time to time with rail cars and, and diesel uh, and, and, and you know tr the ground transportation, it's less safe than if we had built the pipeline. But uh, here again, we can't confuse people with facts. It's like the other night when I was at a little birthday party get together for some of my local circle of friends. And one of the guys there didn't really know much about my newsletter. And somehow that came up in our conversation around the table. And uh, we were talking about a biotech stock that's on my recommended list. It's been really hot. And he looks and he says, oh, you got mining stocks on here too. I don't, I don't know if I'm interested in that. I don't like mining. I said, really? Throw your phone away and repent because there's about 30 different metals and minerals in that phone. And I would be willing to bet that at least some of them uh, came to your phone, courtesy of little black kids in the Congo who were up to their elbows in mud and chemicals so that you can have your phone and get on your phone and virtue signal and feel good about yourself. What do you think about that? Um, and at that end of that conversation. So Keystone XL is a purely political decision. Like a lot of what Biden is doing has utterly no real-world, sensible foundation in economics. What are your expectations for inflation under a Biden administration? Do you think that prices will begin to soar as the money printing continues? You know, this, that, that's, that's the pat thing that a lot of people think that we're going to get, and it sounds good, and it's, it's like what we had before. But let me, let me point something out. We had a lot of people telling us that gold, gold already should be $5,000 an ounce, according to some people. Biden got elected. He chose Janet Yellen to be his Treasury Secretary, who has since been confirmed. The Democrats took the Senate, and did gold go up? No, it went down, all right? Because for the time being, Bill, the way that generalist investors, the way that the investing public looks at this subject is that nobody's concerned about inflation yet. They're not concerned about bubbles yet. Whether they should or shouldn't be doesn't really seem to matter. Well, here's the story. We've already had hyperinflation and all kinds of risk introduced into the markets. When you look at everything from Bitcoin to the silliness with GameStop and AMC and the rest of this stuff recently, um, that kind of a hyperinflation and financial imbalances and so forth inevitably leads to a bust, which leads to deflation. Now, I have said for a while that the best case scenario is that we're gonna end up muddling through in some kind of a stagflation light type of environment. The whole world over, central banks are printing money like no tomorrow, that's not gonna stop. 
The Fed is trying desperately to keep the U.S. dollar in check, if not have it. I think that they were uh, their heart of hearts would be that the U.S. dollar would go down more versus other currencies to keep the entire world in inflated or reflating, if, if you will. And on the surface, yes, that does help commodity prices, which is part of the input cost for inflation. But at the end of the day, that can only go so long as what the market will bear. In the 1970s and into the early 1980s, when we had what we called in those days cost push inflation, you had this cycle where because in those days the Fed back then was also debauching the currency, but was doing so uniquely. We didn't have all the other countries joining in like they do today. So for U.S. purposes, yes, in U.S. dollar terms, these commodities all went up. But in those days, when we had consumer inflation and business inflation go up, there was still some room for businesses to pass on those costs or a good part of them to consumers. Unions were more numerous. They were stronger. They had more members, et cetera. And people were able to get pay raises to kind of keep up. And, that, and, and it fed itself for four or five years uh, at the peak until that was brought to an end by the first part of Paul Volcker's term. I would submit to you today, Bill, that there is not room for this open-ended kind of uh, inflation uh, of consumer prices and things like that that some people are predicting. Uh, we're going to continue to see inflation in asset prices that hopefully the Fed keeps the floor under. But as far as what comes on Main Street, we've got a vastly different landscape today. And the average household and the average business is in utterly no position to absorb significantly higher living costs for much of anything beyond what we already see right now. So what's going to happen instead is the Fed continues to push, you know, trying to bring back this inflation that they're pining for. They'll create worse financial bubbles than what we've already seen. This can get crazier, you know, for all we know. And we will see companies have to start eating more of this. So the first thing you've got to be looking for is not for headline inflation numbers to get really ridiculous. You want to look for the companies out there that have the most sensitivity to these rising input costs. You're going to start to see a lot of these corporations' earnings start to peak and then turn around and go in reverse because they're going to have to eat some of this. So that's going to undermine the stock market. Uh, then you're going to see at least for a while. Well, Chris, if I could, on that point, isn't there already a disconnect between the fundamentals of the company and the share price, you know, the market caps? Couldn't that already be argued? Oh, generally speaking, there is. There's no question about it, which is why, and this is a whole different subject, but on the front page of my website, I've got a commentary that I put out uh, when this GameStop thing was getting really crazy. And, and, you know, people in the media, you know, Kyle Bass said something in response to this to the effect of we're in a post-truth world and post-truth economy. Whoever can tell the best narrative wins. And we've got this cockamamie idea that a lot of smart people, otherwise smart people have latched onto that we've got this David versus Goliath thing. You know, all of us little individual investors in our, our Ameritrade accounts and our Reddit platforms and stuff, we're gonna fight back against those terrible ogres uh, in the hedge funds. And that's, that's not what this is about. You know, it used to be, and I, I referred to the 70s earlier, back in those days, one of the things that finally brought the inflation 
and fiscal insanity, for a while at least, to an end, was we had a creature called the bond market vigilante. This was before the days that the Fed started suppressing the level of interest rates. And when people saw in the, in the financial markets, which back then were a lot freer than they are today, when they saw the U.S. government totally reckless, and, and again, back then, uniquely so. The, the other countries weren't doing this. Europe wasn't doing it. France, you know, France, Germany, uh, Japan, they weren't doing this, at least not yet. So people would sell treasuries. Uh, you don't have that today. The objective, which the average person is clueless of, Bill, with this whole, you know, stirring up the the uh, peasants, as it were, as it were, against the hedge funds and stuff, is that the last people left in the financial markets that will demand and perhaps force, in some cases, price discovery, are short sellers. Now, should they be shorting more than the public float? No, those regulations need to be changed. You shouldn't allow naked shorting and things like that. But believe you me, the Fed, if it had its way, and it wouldn't surprise me, if they're behind some of this propaganda out there, they would love to stop short selling in the stock market because then they're completely free to inflate all of these bubbles recklessly and never would have to be accountable to anybody in the market. So, you know, thankfully, in some individual instances, like these, like this GameStop company, which is borderline bankrupt, uh, short sellers were correct in the fundamental call that they made on that stock. Now, people like that are still overwhelmed by so much liquidity, and the broad market is up much more than fundamentals uh, would would suggest they should be. But at least you've got something there where people have a mechanism to be able to bet against this lunacy. Gold Terra Resource Corp is a gold exploration company that has assembled a highly prospective district-scale land position on the doorstep of the city of Yellowknife in Canada's Northwest Territories. Gold Terra is currently focused on expanding and delineating gold resources at the company's Yellowknife City Gold Project with a goal of discovering over 5 million ounces. With ready access to infrastructure and multiple high-grade gold discoveries, Gold Terra is on track to re-establishing Yellowknife as one of the premier gold mining districts in Canada. Gold Terra trades as YGT in Toronto and YGTFF on the OTC. For more information, go to goldterracorp.com. That's goldterracorp.com. Do you think that should be limited to uh, the uptick rule that some in Canada are trying to reinstate for the junior miners to where you can I only- think I think the uptick rule is important. I don't think you should allow to have orderly markets, that kind of thing. But I'll go you one more, Bill. Um, one of my favorite charts to show just how ridiculous markets can get in defying fundamentals is the chart of oil just before everything crashed back in 2008. And within several months, that's all it was with, I think, seven or eight months, this, this particular chart that I used, you had crude oil at $140 and you had crude oil at $30, the barrel. Neither of those extremes reflected the supply and demand fundamentals for oil as a commodity. But it's because you had all this financialization that's come in, a lot of times with leverage and derivatives and things like that. And our whole world is like that. The markets are like that. And so not only would I say that, yes, to have uh, sensible, fundamentally oriented markets, we should have an uptick rule when it comes to uh, short selling, but there shouldn't be leverage allowed. And when it comes to commodities, unless you are an end user of a commodity, you should not be allowed to trade in them, period. 
as far as the commodities themselves. That's my opinion. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, I got a question about small cap portfolio positioning. As you mentioned, you have biotech stocks, you cover the mining sector, the cannabis sector. So there are some, I get so focused on the fundamentals of an individual small cap miner sometimes that as I'm taking the position, I question myself. I said, what happened if there's a big crash this year? What am I going to do if I amass this big position in an illiquid small cap? How do you manage that potential risk of a, of a major market sell-off and how it would affect an investment in a small cap that needs money, that's a pre-revenue company? Well, first of all, Bill, I think that overly, you know, look, looking, taking an overview of a whole portfolio, you, you have to depend on some asset allocation. And uh, in a few different ways right now, I've got people down to a bit less of a cash position, I think about 20% for a growth-oriented account, but up, up about 40% cash for a conservative account, you keep some powder dry. You have cash right now as an anchor ballast, if you will, because the overall market is, is so ridiculous, and even though it could get more so. And, and then I think that you have to diversify among sectors. You have to diversify among themes, and you diversify among companies. You, you basically build your own personal, this is my Bill Powers Mutual Fund. And for some people, they like to get, I mean, I've got subscribers as much as I tell them not to do this. They'll go all in on uh, mining stocks. You know, if you look you at- You are mining in mining stock, stock education, remember. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> I'm teasing but, you. But, that, but, but I'm sorry, you, no, no sensible person puts 100% of their money just in mining stocks and certainly not just in precious metals, mining stocks. Now, I probably have more individual names on my recommended list that are involved in gold than I do any other theme. There's a part of the overall portfolio, you're talking 13, 14% right now, 15%, something like that. Uh, because again, I'm looking at what, what is the market telling me? What are, what are generalist investors interested in? What are good economic themes? And, and I, I gotta tell you, fundamentally, any person that would write today, by gold as opposed to uranium needs their head examined. All right. One of my favorite sayings is that maybe in heaven, the streets are paved with gold, but here on earth, we use asphalt. We use a lot of other things in our day-to-day -day life. There's a lot of other good bullish stories out there. Gold will continue to be a winner long-term for the same reasons it's been a winner since 1971. When Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard and unleashed Arthur Burns on the world, and it's only gotten worse with every successive Fed chairman. But from time to time, there are going to be better stories. And right now, those better stories are in green energy, uranium, and, and certain other places. Is there any specific company you could mention of those better picks that you've given out to your subs already? As far as precious metals? No, uh, mining stock pick or uranium explorer or... Well, look, first of all, I'd be remiss if I didn't remind people again, and it's doubled recently, but this, the, but I, I think rather than doubling, we're going to be moving to decimal point this year. Frontier Lithium is still, uh, for most people, an undiscovered gem among lithium stocks. Uh, that stock was around 30 cents a share or so. Today, it's over 70 cents. We're going to move the decimal point on it, I believe, before this year is over, because I believe before this year is over, we will see at least one announcement, such as what Piedmont Lithium made a few months back, which was a big winner for us last year. I was pounding the table on that, including, including with you last summer when it was five or six bucks a share. Recently, it's been between 50 and 60. So we moved the decimal point on that one. We'll move it with Frontier Lithium as well. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, uh, as far as the gold area, one of the bad things, in my opinion, Bill, that didn't happen when we saw the precious metal stocks peak back in 2011, and for most of the last decade, it was downhill until about the last year and a half or so, and now they've weakened again recently. Not nearly enough companies went bust. There's still a lot of lifestyle companies out there. There's still a lot of companies out there that have got marginal stories. Yeah, maybe they'll make some money. Maybe they'll make a go of it someday, but they're not going to be on anybody's radar right now. So I get pitched all the time, as you can imagine, and I know you do as well, by companies that, well, we've got 1.8 million ounce resource right now. And if we do this and this and this and this, maybe we can grow it to closer to 2 million ounces. So what? (laughs) That's not going to turn anybody on. Okay, but what will turn somebody on is, for example, a Getchell Gold, which I just added to my list. It's sitting on a million ounces of resources, but they're completely reimagining where those million ounces are. And they've got what to me is an understandable game plan, not to increase those marginally, but to turn a million ounces into between three and five million ounces. That's an attention getter. So that's one of the ones. It's it's still speculative. They still got drilling and work to do to prove it. So they're on my speculative list. But that's a kind of a thing that I'm looking for in the gold space. You know, uranium, um, the the best, most diverse of all of them, of course, is energy fuels, where you've got a rare earth company, you've got a copper company down the road, you've got a uranium company now, uh, and, and so forth. And they're going to be the major company that's going to be the beneficiary of a new billion-dollar appropriation to the EPA to clean up some old dump material and and messes that were left behind a couple of generations ago in the Four Corners area of the Southwest U.S. So um, that stock has had a great run, as have most of the uranium stocks, but it's only getting started. Chris, you do a mining stock picks in Ecuador, and all of last year we covered the Lumina Group, which has companies in Ecuador. The only objection I would ever get from my listeners about those companies was the fact that the deposits were in Ecuador. Now we see a presidential election and a potential left-wing anti-environmentalist um, you know, that could be president. Is there any concern that you have regarding your investments in Ecuador right now? Generally, no. And I'll tell you why. First of all, 90% of what is out there uh, and has been out there for some time, Bill, in in regards to Ecuador, is at best very old news and at worst ignorant misinformation from people that have opinions but no facts behind them. Ecuador's uh, gone to great pains for a number of years now since former President Rafael Correa uh, gave the country a mandate to clean out past corruption and inefficiencies and build a first world mining sector back in 2011. And Ecuador, because of that, since then has deservedly become on everybody's radar in the world, in the mining industry, at least. Every major company is involved down there in one way or the other, even if investors are still sort of clueless. So the election that was held last night And I've been talking a lot about this in my newsletter for the last few months, who the different players were, what motivates them, what the implications are for mining, and so forth. In the first place, Ecuador's constitutional court a few months back basically said that under the Constitution, number one, the national government calls the shots, not people in local areas and so forth, micromanaging. And and in that sense, frankly, Bill, it is not unlike what happens in the U.S. or Canada, 
where you have overall national policy set. And yes, requirements need to be met for water, for waste, how you do this, how you do that, how you construct things, worker safety and all the rest of it. But provided you meet all those requirements when the national government, in this case, Ecuador, grants a license for a concession to a company that is sacrosanct. Uh, that is not going to be canceled or you know expropriated or anything like that. There are people down there, uh, including uh, the man who may end up the second place vote getter, Yaku Perez, who's a member of one of the indigenous peoples in Ecuador, an environmentalist. And I have I have personal respect for him. I question some of his uh, economic ideas and his economic knowledge, uh, but he's he's got some you know the decent following in a country if if just a vocal minority. Um, but people like him are trying to make sure, among other things, that the growth of Ecuador's mining industry does not wreck the country. And look, let's be honest, and we can point to lots of examples like this in the U.S. and in Canada. When I lived in Montana, I wasn't terribly far from Butte, the old Anaconda company, and that was one of the big uh, EPA Superfund uh, cleanup sites. Uh, for years. There's lots of them. Because once upon a time, before we started worrying about things like that, and again, the U.S. is a first world country. Canada is a first world country. We we wrecked the heck out of the environment in some ways to lead to the point where today you have these different requirements. And people in Ecuador, number one, are jealous of one of the most beautiful countries and most diverse countries ecologically on the face of the earth. I'm all I'm all for them protecting that and, and finding ways to have mining in an efficient and safe first world way and in a way which will help them pay their bills because the country's in an economic depression. So uh, Mr. Arauz, who is a former President Crea's protege, was a top vote getter, which was unanimously expected by the polls going in. Uh, the, the Guillermo Lasso who's a former banker from Guayaquil. This is his third run for president. His vote count has gone down each time. Uh, he may or may not make it in second. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm not concerned about Arauz. Uh, people in Washington and at the CIA and the International Monetary Fund are worried about Mr. Arauz because like former President Correa, he thinks that the Ecuador people come first and not bankers from outside the country and so forth. So we'll see what happens. A country, look, this is this is a moving target right now. Uh, nobody expected the uh, uh, big environmentalist and anti-mining uh, uh, guy Perez to have any chance to make the runoff. If he does, there's not very many people that believe he would beat Arouse because uh, no matter who people in that country like, they still realize that even if it's within, the frankly Catholic social teaching inspired 21st century socialism as former president Crea defined it, that nevertheless, they still need to have a healthy economy and a healthy business environment and so forth. And, and Arouse may not in some ways be as energetic about that as the banker Lasso would, but he certainly is not gonna be any more against mining than Crea was, who was very much in favor of building uh, a vibrant mining sector. Well, thank you for that commentary, Chris. Chris's website is nationalinvestor.com. Go check it out if you'd like more of Chris's ideas. His newsletter features a lot of different investing ideas across a broad spectrum, much more than mining, although I would say about 15% of his picks do have to do with mining if you're looking for specific mining stock picks as well. Chris, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you. Hey, my pleasure as always, Bill. Mm -hmm.
Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks concomitant with that if you don't do the work or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too i just started to study up on mining stocks and i just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly the mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.